Good morning. Before we read scripture, um, I want to make a little introduction. First of all, I'm Nancy Martin, not just Nancy. I kind of feel like Cher in there. I didn't have my last name, but uh, I'm, not, I'm not Nancy Sharp. I'm not Bailey's mother, although I could be. And I, I would be delighted to be, which is, this is who I want to introduce. Bailey Sharp is our children's intern. She is a student at Sanford, and she's one of Jim's students, and he um, was told me about her a few weeks ago and was telling me how delightful she was, and she is. And um, she's going to be with us until May, until the end of the semester. And a lot of our children have already gotten to meet her, and a lot of the parents have gotten to meet her. And um, she's just been quite an asset already and will continue to be over the next few weeks. Um, So she is going to read scripture with me today. We are going to be reading Psalm 32 from the New Living Translation. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body was wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there is still time, that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and a bridle to keep it under control. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all you who obey him. Shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure. This is the word of the Lord. Now, Bailey, have you, ha, Bailey, have you heard of Cher? Okay, I was wondering. <laughs> No, you just, that's telling. Not Rihanna, not Shakira, but Cher, who used to be married to Greg Allman, Allman Brothers Band, best band ever. Okay, uh, this is part one of a Lenten series. Some of you might know the meaning of the word Lenten. It's from an old English word meaning lengthen. And we're in that season right now because the days are lengthening. We have more daytime, and, and the reason it's given that term is it gives you and me more time to reflect upon the sacrifice that Jesus made for you and me, and we consider what we could sacrifice ourselves, which is where we get the idea of giving things up for Lent and the like. And with Dr. Keller's uh, series, we begin with uh, this part of the journey through Lent, confession. So I'm going to begin by asking you a very direct question. This, in the privacy of your relationship with God, what is your besetting sin? What is your besetting sin? And secondly, do you really want to overcome it? Do you really want to overcome that sin? Because with confession of sin, it's one thing to identify it, to be aware of it. It's another thing to genuinely and honestly, as Keith just sang, confess it. So first of all, I want to talk about what is your besetting sin. And I don't want to start with Psalm 23. I want to start with Hebrews 12.1, which reads, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race 
God has set before us. Look at what is highlighted there, the sin that so easily trips us up. What sin would that be in your life right now that so easily trips you up? What is your besetting sin? And I'm using the old school word from the King James Version. Let's look at that. Uh, The phrase there is the sin which so easily besets us. Uh, The NIV translates it, and all three of these are good English translations, the sin that so easily entangles us. And finally, the New Living Translation, the sin that so easily trips us up. In an honest moment between yourself and God, what would you say is that sin that continues to trip you up right now, that entangles you, that is, as I said, your besetting sin that you need to let go of? Ron Lee Harris told the true story of a gentleman who was trying to get over his particular besetting sin sin. It's, it's found in a book called A Forgiving God in an Unforgiving World, and it's the true story of a much-loved priest in the Philippines. And he carried the burden of the secret sin that he had committed years before. And he had even confessed it to God, but could not really see that he was forgiven of that one terrible sin. He had, the irony is he had led a lot of other people to the grace and mercy of Jesus, but he could not offer it up to himself, at least as far as that besetting sin goes, which was continuing to burden him. And so he struggled with that for years. Okay, he didn't feel any peace for decades. Well, it just so happened there was a woman in his parish who was a very godly woman An interesting thing about her, though, she claimed to have dreams and visions when she would go off by herself and that she would actually approach Jesus and talk to Jesus. And and people heard about this and started asking her to take questions to Jesus in her visions, and she would come back with answers for them directly from Jesus. Well, obviously, this priest was skeptical, but on another level that perhaps at times was subconscious, he thought, you know what, I can put her to the test. But on a deeper level, it was like, boy, it'd be nice to hear some kind of word from her that would relieve me of this besetting sin that I still am not over. And, and, and so he decided to put her to the test. He, and he said, okay, you say you have these visions. Back when I was in seminary, I committed a terrible sin that nobody else is aware of. Nobody else knows about it. I want you to go, and next time you have a vision of Jesus, I want you to ask him what that sin was. And if he tells you what that sin was, I will know that you are telling the truth and that you are having genuine visions. Now, he presented it as a test, but he came to realize later on that on a deeper level, he was hoping that she would come back with some word of of absolution that that would make him feel better about things, that would just alleviate this sense of, of guilt, this burden of guilt that he had because of that sin, that besetting sin. Well, let me come back to you very quickly. What comes to the surface right now in your mind, in your heart, when I say, what is your besetting sin right now? Is it something that happened a long time ago? Is it something that you're struggling with even now? Is it something that you feel like you just can't stop doing? Is it something that that happened when you were at a moment of weakness and you have deep regrets about it? Is it something you're ashamed of? Uh, is it something that you're having difficulty just, you know, stopping? Uh, is it something that is indeed secret? Let me offer up, as I heard a psychologist share just this week, and I've heard these four words from many a psychologist and counselor and therapist, whether believer or non-believer, and he said, like I've heard so many times, secrets keep us sick. And they do on some level, uh, physically, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually. Now, I'm going to trust now between you and God, you have identified 
that besetting sin. We all have them. We are all broken people, people with feet of clay. Let me say this, though, one more time. It's one thing to identify it, to be aware of it. It's another thing in a moment of true authenticity to confess it to God. Even when it's in your best interest, sometimes we struggle with that, which leads me to the second question. Do you want to overcome it? Do you want to overcome that besetting sin? You can identify it, but do you want the responsibility of confessing it? Which reminds me of, of something that happened back in the 1980s. I'll never forget reading about this. There, was, uh, there were two women who wanted to go visit a friend who lived about 40 miles away. They got in the car, uh, drove there, and they visited with this dear friend for quite some time. And then when it was time to leave, they went back down to the car, and the woman who owned the car and who had been driving the car looked in the car, and it's that terrible sinking feeling. She saw the keys in the ignition. Have you ever had that happen? And the door was locked. She's thinking, oh, no. And this was 80s. This was before cell phones. So she goes back into the house, calls on the landline, calls her husband, who is in an intense business meeting, and she says, I'm locked out of the car. Can you bring the spare set of keys? And he groaned into the phone. He was like, "I'll okay, I'm on my way. Well, about 30 minutes after that phone call, the woman who owned the car, her friend who was with her, went back out to look at the car, and she just happened to come to the back door, and it was unlocked. And she went and told the owner of the car, hey, it's unlocked. What do you think the woman who owned the car did? <laughs> what do you, she went back out. The door was unlocked. What did she do? Opened that door. Remember when you used to have to press the lock? Closed it, locked it, kept the keys in there, slammed it shut, right? Now, what am I saying with all that? You might be able to identify your sin, but are you willing to take responsibility to confess it? Especially something on a much more serious scale, what I would call our besetting sin. Oftentimes, you and I would rather slam the car door on it, right? We'd rather slam the door on it and and avoid it, not deal with it, cover it up. That's exactly what David did. You recall his affair with Bathsheba. You, re- you recall later on he had Uriah, the husband of, of Bathsheba, killed on the battlefront. I mean, he committed multiple sins. I would say if you had to get down to one besetting sin that he felt permitted him to do all this, it would be the sin of pride. And for a year he carried this around until the prophet, anybody remember his name, who came along and said, you are the man. Who is it? Anybody know? Nathan the prophet comes along and just hits him right between the eyes and says, you are the man. Look at these things you have committed. You have sinned against God. You have not confessed it. And it was not until Nathan called him on it, had his number on it, that he finally confessed to God. But I think based on this psalm, it's fair to state that, that at least as far as David went, but even before he was confronted with the sin, The unconfessed sin was affecting him. And David talks about this serious uh, uh, effect of not confessing sin. Look at verses 3 and 4. When I refused to confess my sin, and this is David who wrote this, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. In other words, he's saying this affected me physically. It affected me mentally. It says, my bones were wasting away, my strength was sapped little by little. It affected me physically, but all, along with that, it says, what I groaned all day long. 
you, you could put that in, in the Hebrew, it, it's my conscience was roaring at me every day. And you can try to suppress it, but let me just offer up this notion that when we do not deal with unconfessed sin, it affects us in dysfunctional ways, whether on a conscious or subconscious level. Sir, are you willing not only to be aware of this besetting sin that you have right now, or are you willing to confess it? And David learned the hard way from trying to cover up his sin, and that's why I think he wrote Psalm 32. And his message, bottom line, in this whole psalm is what? You've got to tell it like it is. You've got to be honest about it. You've got to be forthcoming with it. And the thing is, God knows already, right? We know that. And we know that God loves us unconditionally. But he is waiting for you to confess that which he so desires to forgive you for. He is waiting for you to confess it. Now someone might ask me, well, why, do, why is he waiting then? If he's unconditional love, you know, why can't he just go on and forgive me without me confessing it? Because you're claiming you're right to be God instead of submitting to God. And that was the original sin with Adam and Eve, you know. It's always amazed me. You know, God told Adam and Eve, I'm going to give you everything. I am giving you, do you remember the D word? I'm giving you dominion over all creation, everything. All you need to do is remember one thing. What is it? Remember who I am and remember who you are. (laughs) Remember whose you are and remember who I am. That's all God asked. And still they rebelled. They committed what we call rebellious self-assertion. I like the way Tim Keller identified that um, on Wednesday night. Let's look at verse 1. It says, oh, what a joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven. The word disobedience there means rebellious self-assertion. And that's what Adam and Eve exercised, that type of rebellion. Why doesn't God go on and forgive us? Why does he wait for us to ask forgiveness? Here's the question. How can you confess to God when you are placing yourself on an equal plane with him? You need to step down, submit to his sovereignty, and confess in that manner, not in a way where even in a subtle way you're placing yourself on an equal status with God. That's why he has to wait. And that's why you and I need to humble ourselves. As soon as David did that and confessed, he was forgiven. I just love verse 5. Put that up there. Finally, and this was a year. It took David about a year to confess with the help of Nathan. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. I'm just going to get it out there. And you forgave me all my guilt is gone. I love the way Augustine, the great church father, comments on this verse. He said, these words were no sooner out of the mouth of David that God had already forgiven the guilt of his sin. And there's even better news for you and me today. David was completely unaware in his day, his age, about something else that you and I have the advantage of. Put 1 John uh, chapter 2 verse 1 up there. My dear children, I'm, this is John writing, My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. Now, he's saying that tongue-in-cheek and letting the irony kind of shock you into reality. He knows you're going to sin. 
I'm writing this so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, which they will, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. And I love this word there. It's parakleton or paraklesis in the Greek. And we've talked about that at the beginning of this year with our emphasis this year. Ordinarily, in the New Testament, that word paraklesis is for another uh, person of the Godhead, uh, the one who is called our advocate in the Gospel of John, sometimes called our counselor, sometimes our comforter. Who am I talking about? Anybody want to take a stab at it? Holy Spirit. But I think it's very cool that here, uh, John draws from the other member of the Godhead, talking about Jesus, that he is the one who does what? Pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. David didn't have the foggiest notion of this Savior back in his day. But now we have that advantage. We have this advocate. In fact, literally, in the Greek it says, we are right now having an advocate, right now at this moment. That that grace is ever present, ever on the move, ever available for you at any second in your lifetime. Even as you're struggling with whatever besetting sin it is that you have. He accepts your confession and is committed to working with you to to move away, process away from that sin that is besetting you and help you overcome it. And let me just say, when, when you are struggling with confessing your sins to God, please know of his intense love for you. My first 11 years at Sanford University, I served as minister to the university. And uh, by the way, the guy who used to be pastor here years ago, how many of y'all remember Paul Baisden? Paul had that position before he came here to be pastor Brookwood. And I followed Paul there. Uh, got a great uh, uh, university job and a great pastor out of it. It was great. But uh, uh, for those 11 years, I cannot tell you how many times students would come to me. And Sanford is chock full of students who are just wonderful. Uh, they are also very perfectionistic. <laughs> and, and they really can get down on the, themselves when uh, they, they are you know, battling some kind of sin or when there's something that they've never really confessed to anyone. I mean, they're image conscious like we are here in Mountain Brook, that kind of thing. And I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with a student who has never confessed whatever it is, to anyone ever in their lifetime. Many a time I was in encounters like that. And, and you can just tell how they had to labor out the confession to me. And, and it was almost like a mantra. The same thing happened every time I would say, okay, you just confess this thing to me that you've never shared with anyone, right? Okay, let me ask you this. Do you think this changes my view of you in any way? Do you think it changes my perception of you? Do you think it changes my care for you? Or do you think maybe even perhaps it makes me care for you even more? And they would inevitably, 100%, say yes. And then the next thing I would say, it's, it's almost like I didn't have to finish the entire sentence. I would just say, okay, now imagine how much more God... And sometimes, you know, even tears would come at that point. But obviously, imagine how much more God, his view of you hasn't changed. He knows you better than you know yourself. And yet he loves you so much. But look at this great step you've taken. You've stepped off the level where he is and you've confessed this to him. I hope you can be aware of his love for you now. And it doesn't change his perception of you because he knows you so well already. I hope you and I have the capacity to do just 
that. He wants you to receive his grace. And when you do, it's just incredible. And I, and I love the first two verses of this whole psalm. To me, it's a doxology. Uh, let's look at verses 1 and 2. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Remember that, put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. It's put away. It's gone. Do you remember the priest I mentioned earlier who had this woman in the church who claimed that she would have these visions of Jesus, and he was going to test her, and he said, okay, I committed this terrible thing, and I want you to go and ask Jesus, and if he tells you what that sin was, I'll believe you. Well, on another level, he was just hoping to have some type of, of word that would, that would relieve the, the pain of his guilt. In fact, he said later on, it didn't even matter to me if it was authentic that she had talked with Jesus as long as she would give me some kind of therapeutic word. Well, he waited for her, and she was known sometimes to take a while. He waited for a number of hours after he asked her. She never showed up. Hours turned to days. Days turned into two weeks, and a little after two weeks, she finally came back, and at that point, he was rather agitated. And he said, well, did you have any visions while you were away from me? Well, as a matter of fact, I did. Well, did you see Jesus? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I did. He said, well, well, did you talk to him? She said, yeah. Uh, Well, did you ask him about me? Well, yes. Well, did you talk to him about my question? And she said, in fact, I did. He was getting more and more agitated. He said, well, did did, did he answer you? And she said, yes. He did, and he said at this point his heart was beating so fast and he had beads of sweat on his forehead, and he said, well, what did he say? She said, well, I said to him, my priest committed a sin when he was in seminary, and he's still burdened by it, and he wants to know if you know what that sin was. He said, well, what did Jesus say? She said, Jesus looked right at me and said, ah, yeah, your priest's sin. Funny thing, I I just don't remember it anymore. You know, Jesus doesn't necessarily forget our sins, but he chooses not to remember them by his grace. If only we do what? Confess. Tell the truth. Let's pray together. I ask you once more, what is your besetting sin right now? Can I just, whatever that sin is, however serious it might be, uh, can I just welcome you to uh, humanity? (laughs) Uh, Welcome to being a human. And yet this might be a wonderful opportunity to take that sin with which you have struggled for perhaps so long or struggling just right now, something you deeply regret, something from a moment of weakness, something that you're trying to shake, some, some emotion that you're trying to, to cope with. Can you confess that to him right now in silence, just between you and God? Lord, make us a confessing people, uh, being willing to 
confess our deep, desperate need for you. Also being a people willing to confess joyfully your deep, deep love for us. For your grace that is so much greater than our sin. For your absolute goodness which is so much bigger than our badness. Help us to embrace that grace for ourselves. So often, many of us in here live by that irony where we want to share the grace of Jesus with others, but we don't want to embrace it for ourselves or or can't find ourselves able to do it. Help us to do that even now. Make us a confessing people that we can walk in newness of life with you and with our brothers and sisters. We pray these things in your name. Amen.